Well, good morning. That's a, that was a good song. Praise the Lord. If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. Trust you've had a good weekend. Headed back to work with the majority of you. This is my, I got off this morning at 11. So my weekend starts tomorrow, so it's really good. I'm not back till Thursday, but you poor folk, I guess, start tomorrow again. So that's when you work weekends, that's how it is. I want to discuss uh, with you the, and look at the Word of God on the subject of friendship this morning. And specifically really addressing the question, is God your best friend? Before we read in uh, John 15, we'll just look at a couple verses starting in verse 12. If you were to think about this in the context of your human relationships that you have with other folk that are here on the earth, um, I wonder how you'd answer the question of if somebody were to ask you, how many friends do you have? I remember when I was in high school, it just seemed like last week, but I think it was a few years ago than that. When you, at the end of the year, had that yearbook. Back then, I think it was about $15, I think. Now it's probably up to about 100 But you'd get all the different folks that were your friends, and they would go ahead and write all these wonderful paragraphs, and some wrote novels that you wanted reserved. And you thought you had a lot of friends, and in one sense, you did at different levels. And then, of course, you... Many of us went to college, and that number dropped a little bit more. And then you went into the workplace, and you had maybe some friends, but you weren't sure if they were more just workers, co-workers, or in some cases, just acquaintances. Sometimes maybe something else, an enemy maybe, uh, in one sense, that is how they viewed you. Or if you got married, and then you're busy with having a spouse and children, before you know it, and you start to think about this, and you go, you know, the number of friends has kind of dwindled. We're very fortunate in the, in the family of God that we have probably more friends, and I mean brothers and sisters, and I'm also saying the word friends, than probably many, many in the world uh, even would ever know. Uh, when we think of our relationships with one another, it's, it's so different. But with all the wonderful things of fellowship, and as great as that is, and obviously God has instituted that and wants us to be close to one another, the best friend that we can have is Christ himself. And there's an interesting couple of verses here in John 15, and we're kind of launching right in the middle of this amazing uh, chapter about him being the vine and we the branches. And so we're kind of picking right up here in the middle of something as he's giving this excellent uh, sermon or discourse, if you like. He says this in verse 12. He said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. And then if we want, we could just go to verse 16 as well, really, on that. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Why? 
and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And then when you go to James chapter 2, verse 23, just one verse, in reference to Abraham, it says this, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. When you think of this question here, and it's one of those ones that you have to think about maybe a little bit to ponder it, what is the greatest thing that a friend has ever done for you to show that he or she is your friend? What's that greatest thing among our earth relationships that we would think of? And again, when I mention this idea of friend, we could probably think that there's a number of people that come to our mind. I'm glad to be able to say now that I have adult children, they have become my friends as well as my daughters. I remember saying at one point when they were younger, you know, I'm not really your friend. I mean, that's not the context of our relationship. It's when especially I'd have to say something that they didn't want to hear. I'm your father. But now that they're in their 20s, and uh, it's a wonderful thing to have a friendship with your kids uh, where we do things together. I'm glad to say that my son-in-laws, Matt and, and Bill, are my friends. And, and that's a wonderful blessing, as well as all of the others. My best friend on earth is my wife, Cindy. I've known her since she was, well, nine years old. So that goes back a ways. Well, I should say I met her when she was nine. I started being really interested in her when I was 15. So there was an eight-year gap there. I just don't want to overstate, exaggerate the point. And I have a close friend named Danny. I've known him 31 years. Um, we had breakfast together last Wednesday. He loves the Lord. Him and his wife and my wife and I, were four of us are close. It's a real blessing and I think of all the different things that, that my friends have done. And when I think of this, what I'm talking about when I say friends, are, and it's a good definition of this, it's, and it really fits the Lord Jesus to the T. It says, knowing the heart of another and sharing one's heart with another. Who are those 2 a.m. friends that you have who have been described as the ones who will say, where are you and, and what do you need? How can I help you? It's that very special friend. The Lord Jesus Christ is definitely that very special best friend who, whether it's at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or 4 a.m., he is asking that question, where are you and what do you need as we come to him in, in prayer? Isn't it an amazing thing that when, for those of us who know Christ today, when we trusted him, we were at once uh, hostile toward God, rebellious toward him, and we viewed as enemies because of our, our rebellion and our defiance. And now he says in this passage to the disciples, and it applies to us, he says, I have called you friends. He said that of Lazarus in John 11. He referred to him as his friend. And, of course, we just read in James, he's also described Abraham as his friend. And what you notice in verse 16 in this friendship that I trust you have with Christ today, it's this, and this is what's so amazing about it, is the fact that he is the one who initiated the friendship. And we responded. It's quite a thing, isn't it, that, you know, you think of people in the world, and I'm not going to judge their motives or question it because I, I don't know that, but we think of how folk like to have somebody that they can say, you know what, that person's my friend. 
somebody that's pretty, you know, famous, somebody that's wealthy, you know, uh, popular. We, 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 you see folks kind of like to gravitate and say, that's a friend. That's my friend. And here today when we can humbly say, you know what? The Lord Jesus is my friend. And guess what? He chose me first. And I simply now have responded to that wonderful invitation to be a friend with him. When you think of the qualities of a friend, and I want to touch on this, and what I'm really thinking where we're going to go today is for the next few minutes, I want to talk about how God is our best friend and the qualities he possesses as a friend. And then I'm going to shift it, and we're going to look at what the scripture says about asking this question. What kind of a friend are we to him? Because a friendship, as you can see, knowing the heart of another and sharing one's heart with another, it's a two-way street. But when I think of the qualities of Christ as friend, and there's more than this, I just use these ones that came to me for the time we have together. The scripture says one of the qualities of a friend, and this is of true of Christ, is our best friend, is he loves you even more than a family member. Now, some of you might say, well, I have wonderful, close relationships with my family members. And that's, generally speaking, can be the case. You can have very good relationships with brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers. But there's also many examples of where relationships in the family are nowhere near as close as they are with a friend, especially one who knows Christ, if you do. But in the context with Christ, his friend, he loves you even more than that family member that you cherish. Scripture says there is a friend in Proverbs 18 who sticks closer than a brother. And he does. And that friend is Christ. Proverbs 17 says a friend loves at all times And a brother is born in adversity. Jesus is our friend, loves at all times. He loves you more than even a family member. Think about that today. John 15 tells us why. How do you know that? John 15 tells us that greater love has no man than this, that he's willing to lay down his life for his friends. And it's almost a kind of a dual thing here. Also, he was willing to do that for his enemies. Another quality of Christ as friend that makes him our best friend, at least how he views us and how we should view him, is he never lies. This is something that we love about a friendship. One, someone that we know loves us unconditionally. And second, a friendship survives on trust. And that a fact that you can trust that that person will never lie to you. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, in the verse Paul's talking about, he says, in this little phrase, which God who does not lie. Numbers 21 says, God is not a man that he should lie. We've all been lied to. And sometimes we've told a lie. I know at my job... Uh, where I have to protect myself from being cynical as I know I'm getting lied to constantly by what I'm hearing sometimes on the phone. A version of what somebody's telling me is what happened. I remember one time a girl told me that she'd been, and girls could be a guy, could be a girl, but in this case it was a girl told me she'd been kidnapped and she'd pushed herself out of the car at the right moment and I was like completely 
completely uh, on board believing the whole story, only to find out that she was actually the main suspect in this whole crime that was going down. But I, com I was completely fooled. She was a good, unfortunately, a good liar. But God never lies. Something else about God that makes him a, such a good friend is he forgives us when we've wronged him. Don't we wish that and long for that in our friendships and why some have derailed in the human context is there's been an offense. Somebody's done something. Uh, you've been the grieved or the one who's grieved. There's been distance for whatever reason that's crept in. We can think of relationships like that over the years and we kind of maybe wonder what's happened. Why did that happen? But with the Lord, 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so every day, every day when we come into this new day with him, that we're consciously awake and now we're with God as our best friend, we know that probably at some point in the morning, afternoon or evening, we're going to do something that's going to be offensive to him. Either we're going to think it, we're going to say it or we're going to do it. And so what he wants and what he invites us to do is just to bring that to him. Ask for forgiveness and be cleansed. And then the fellowship with him and that friendship in the truest sense is restored because of that. Something else I love about the Lord as our friend is he is there for us when maybe everyone else has left. He tells us in Hebrews 13, 5, the writer, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave. And then he also goes on to say in that verse, I never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. Never. Think of relationships and friendships. And we're just human. We're frail at this. You know, we, we think at sometimes we're going to be friends with this person forever on the earth. Something changes. Sometimes it's complicated. Sometimes it's simple as to what's occurred. But if the Lord is your best friend today, you can take comfort in that quality that he possesses. He loves you more than a family member. He showed it by laying down his life for us. He never lies. He forgives us. He's there when everyone else is left. And something else he's done is he counsels and he encourages us, doesn't he? He's given us a spirit. John 14 and 15 and 16, he's talking about the whole context of the fact that he's given us a spirit who guides us, encourages us. Who can lift our hearts like the Lord Jesus? Who can just help pick us up when we're in despair? And who gives us that quiet voice that we can hear? He gives us a word through his spirit. He's just continually counseling and encouraging. That's a good quality of a friend. I love the fact, something else about him, another quality of Christ, our friend, is that he can be trusted. In this sense... He keeps confidences. It's an interesting verse, Proverbs 3.26, For the Lord will be your confidence. In those special relationships you have with maybe one, two, or three folk who are maybe those closest of your friends, maybe you have more. Uh, my wife, I'm fortunate, is one of mine. And then I have a couple of others. And even in our family, there are things that I share with them that I trust they're going to keep as confidential. 
I was with somebody just day before yesterday that shared with me some confidential things. And I'm real careful, and I have at times, unfortunately, have slipped where I've said more than I should have and betrayed that. And it's hard to win that back, isn't it, when you've done that? But with the Lord, he can be trusted. Everything we tell him, he keeps to the Godhead. In the relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, as they're communicating and relating to one another, they're aware of it, but they're never going to share it with one of us. And so the encouragement today is, is that if there is something that is private, and maybe it's something that you can only tell one or two. And I'm thinking in the, in the marriage relationship, I don't believe there should be secrets. Um, and that's kind of an interesting issue that I'm working through with some men that I meet with once a week as to how much do you tell your spouse about certain struggles that you're going through. Kind of an involved subject, more than we can cover right now. But with the Lord, for certain, we know that everything we tell him, we can trust him. And so I'm encouraging you, are there things that you need to tell him? I mean, he already knows, but are there things you, that's good for you to express this to God, this thing that may be in your mind, something so private, you don't even really want anyone to know, but you can tell your best friend, the Lord Jesus. Something else a best friend does, he prays for us. You know, Hebrews 7.25, it's a, it's a fascinating verse. And if we just, you know, sort of slow down a little bit and kind of chew on this phrase, it kind of would blow us away. That he always lives to intercede for them. One of the ministries of Christ is that he's praying for us here today. He's constantly praying I remember that was a quality of my mother. Uh, she was a prayer warrior. And she constantly was praying not only for myself and my wife, but for our kids and her grandkids. Just constantly praying. The Lord Jesus says that he lives to intercede. Another thing I love about the Lord, and this is the last one in the, in the qualities at the moment, is that he always does what is best for you. And that's the quality of a friend. It would be peculiar to say I'm friends with somebody who really does not have my best at heart, doesn't really understand me, doesn't know me, and actually probably has some bizarre ideas of what's best for me or really doesn't care what's best for me. That really isn't a friendship. But he always does what's best. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, the writer says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Words from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Boy, you see that sometimes in the place, in the workplace. You know, and sometimes I'm walking around just kind of like, you know, who's, who's got my back? You know, and who's talking behind my back? And they may say one thing to you, and as soon as you kind of sense that you're out of their presence, I've sometimes caught it. Where I come back in, everybody's talking, you know, not the greatest thing to hear. What are they saying? How do you really sometimes know what is the motive of why people want to be close in the workplace and what they're after? We have a new chief at our department. It's kind of interesting just to see who's wanting to get close right now. Who's wanting to talk more in meetings that normally didn't talk much? 
who's wanting to make an impression, who's saying things in order to hope to get a promotion. I'm not paranoid, believe me. (laughs) Yet the Lord Jesus, in his word, tells us exactly what we need to hear. Sometimes painful, but it's for our good because he loves us. A friend, a best friend, will do that. What kind of friend are we? It's a very interesting passage, and we won't, we won't go to it for time, but remember in John 21 when Peter was questioned. Of course, remember, Peter told the Lord, I'm never going to betray you. Then, of course, sadly, he did. And the Lord told him, you know, you're going to. And he said, no, I won't. Well, he did. And interestingly, in John 21, he had this little passage where the Lord asked him three times, Maybe it's the same number as the number of times he betrayed him. He said, do you love me? In the scriptures, it's a little hard for us to understand sometimes this word love exactly in the context of what it is. And it has three different meanings depending on the context. There's eros, which is the erotic love between a husband and wife. It's the physical. It's the sexual relationship. And then you have the gapi love, which is God's love for us. And then you have phileo which is that deep friendship love. And the Lord was asking Peter, do you have that deep friendship love for me? And the question is, you know, and maybe it's it's a really interesting passage to ponder. Why did he ask three times? And it began to disturb Peter that he didn't just ask him once, but he asked him a second and he asked him a third. The interesting thing is, in response to him saying, yes, yes, I do. The Lord then said, do something. Back it up with actions. Not just lip service, but feed my sheep is what he told him to do. Could we point to how we live our lives here today that shows that we have a deep Friendship, love for Christ. Is it, is it noticeable? Would we, not in a judgmental spirit, believe me, I'm not talking that way. But would we among ourselves and those who do not know Christ, who would look in on us and understand our friendships, they hear us talk, they see how we live. Would they get the sense that by, based on how we behave, because he taught, we'll be talking about that, about commandments in a moment. That how we behave shows others that we have a deep friendship love for Christ. It shows. You know, there's some folks that we're, we're more than happy to say, you know, he's my friend. She's my friend. And they see it because we spend time together and we, we do things and we're talking about each other's lives. Is that coming over in our friendship love with Christ? God never intended for us to be, um, you know, confidential informants uh, with him. In in the army of God, that we're going to be those covert, 
troops and soldiers that are just going to want to have nobody know who we are. It's a secret. No. He's called us into community with one another. Not just has he called us individually to come to him as Savior, which all of us individually have to do. But then when he's done that, he's called us to be together. And to iron sharpen iron and to rub shoulders with one another. And so that others who don't know him see the way we behave. And then we launch out from here into a world that desperately needs him. And others understand that. How was our weekend? How was this day? Well, it was because I was with these folks because we're friends. We're all friends with Jesus. Oswald Sanders says each of us is as close to God as we choose to be. We're as close to God as we, we choose to be. What are some of the uh, obstacles to friendship? You think about, you know, in just the human relationships. I remember with my wife, there was a time of conflict or a distance that was coming in with the guy that I've been friends with for 31 years, his wife. And so they needed to talk it out and kind of see what was going on. What were the expectations that both had of the friendship? And one wasn't really meeting what that expectation was. And so there was some misunderstanding and it needed to be resolved. And there were things, barriers that had come in. Misunderstandings. An apparent disinterest. Making a phone call, not getting a call back. Texting, not getting a response back. Um, For days. When you think about it, are there any obstacles that are right now blocking you having that friendship with God that he wants from you. He wants from me. What, what is it? There's no blockage from his end. So at least that's the part that's not complicated. We don't have to deal with two complicated situations on both sides. With God, it's not complicated. He's completely met his, his goal, his, his expectation. I'm afraid it's where the distance is isn't because God moved, but it's because we did. So what are those? Well, these aren't uh, rocket scientist issues, but one of them certainly is loving the world more than we love him. When I say the world, I'm not talking about the globe in the context of the people. But what I mean, and it's been defined as this, is it's the system of the world. It's, it's, it could be the arts. It could be the culture. It could be the education. It could be the science. It could even be, dare I say, all the different religious institutions that are out there that aren't Christian, that make up the world. This system that basically is trying to somehow function apart from a, reli- a living relationship with God for their fulfillment. James 4 4, you adulterous people, it's writing to Christians. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. In my flesh, I would love to somehow water that down. But I can't. Because the scripture says that loud and clear. 
There's no grayness in this issue. If we're loving the world, the very system that brought our Savior to the cross and crucified him, and that's why it's so repulsive to him, how can we be walking hand in hand with the world when you look at what happened and what that system caused our Savior to have to do? Verse John 2, this is probably one of your memory verses that some of you have memorized. First John 2, verse 15 and 16. John now says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything that is in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. See, the scripture is very clear on this. We cannot love both. We cannot love Christ. And we cannot say, I, as my friend, I also want to love the world and I want to love you, Jesus. That system. We can't. They're incompatible. It's a conflict that cannot be brought together. You can't do it. We try, don't we? We try and love both. We try and mix both. But you can't mix it. Because scripture says, you're an enemy of God. You're actually going against God's purposes and his desires for our life if we're loving the world. And again, I'm not saying he wants us to love the people, of course. It's that whole system. Mixture in this context can destroy. Remember when the Israelites, they left Egypt and they were led to the promised land. God told them, as you know the story, to cross the Jordan. And then he said this, and destroy every evil thing in their new homeland. And what that meant was in the context of what was going on there where they entered the promised land is they were to kill all their enemies and crush their false gods to powder. And God warned them, and you see this in the Old Testament, that if they failed to do this, what would happen is, is that godless culture would mix in with them. They would mix in with the pagans. And they would start to take on their practices, the idolatrous practices of those they were meant to deal with. And they didn't do it. The Israelites were not careful to destroy everything and follow exactly what God said in his word to do. And they found it easier and easier with, with time to stop short. Go so far, but not fully. 80%, but not 100 of what he was saying. And what happened is, as you see it, is the Israelites became adulterous in their relationship to God and they repeatedly turned their backs on him because they fell short and would not follow through. And as he promised, and he said he'd do it, he removed them from their land. And just before the destruction of Jerusalem and their final deportation of her inhabitants, God said this in Ezekiel 6, 9. 
Then in the nations where they have been carried captive, those who escape will remember me, how I have been grieved by their adulterous hearts, which have turned away from me, and by their eyes, which have, have lusted after their idols. And they will loathe themselves for all the evil they have done and for all their detestable practices. See, the good thing where we can be encouraged is this today, is that if you're here this morning, and as I've been searching my heart this week over this very issue, and I think of what is it in the world that I love, maybe more than my love of my friendship with you, Lord, is when we come to this place where we begin to loathe and be troubled over those evil practices that we're doing, then we're at the point of where we can turn. When we begin to detest it, where we actually begin to care over the fact that we're, we've committed evil, we've done wrong in his sight, and we want to change. That's the key. And he said that the Israelites were going to come to that place where they were going to. And then we know God in his mercy would forgive. And secondly, with time, not only is it loving the world, which is that obstacle, and so the issue here is we want to say, I don't, want, I don't, I don't love the world, Lord, I want to love you. As my best friend, the second thing is, is I want to trust you because lack of trust is another obstacle in our friendship with him. Someone has said it is just as important to trust God as to obey him. When we disobey God, we defy his authority and despise his holiness. When we fail to trust God, we doubt his sovereignty and question his goodness. That's why Abraham, it said, no, Abraham is a friend of God. Why? Because he trusted him. He believed him. He believed God. And it says in James 2.23, it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called what? God's friend. You read the, you know the stories of, of Abraham when God called him, specifically called him to move from his home. What did he do? He did. He moved. He didn't even know where he was going. When he was asked to believe God, that he would bless him with a son, he believed him. When he was asked even to offer his only son, once the, the one son he had in that context with Isaac that was his promised son, he was prepared even to do it. And of course, God didn't have him follow through. He tested him. Abraham trusted God. In friendships, we've got to trust one another for them to be healthy friendships. And God is saying, love me more than the world. And he's also saying, trust me. And we know from the things I've shared in the past and messages you've heard from others and things we've read in the scriptures this week or the last couple of weeks or whatever trials and stuff we're going through, we know that God is constantly saying in the good and in the difficult, I want you to trust me. And he says, I want you to remember how I have been faithful to you in the past and to trust me with your not only the present, but with the future of your life. And we can say today, one of the things we love about the Lord is that he's not only is he, is he faithful, but he's trustworthy. And friendships will, will falter and sputter and eventually collapse and die where we come to a place with someone or they come with us to this point where they say, I can't trust you. I, I don't trust you for whatever reason. And it's painful to hear that or to have to say that. But with the Lord, he's saying, one of the obstacles is you don't trust me. And he doesn't, 
He doesn't take lightly to that. It troubles him. It's a big deal to him as much as it is obedience. Sometimes I think we kind of think, you know, obedience and then, you know, if I don't really trust him, well, he understands it's okay to be a worrywart. It isn't. Another obstacle is our disobedience and neglect. John 15 is very clear. Verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. First John 5. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. The evidence we show that in our friendship with him, that it means something, that he's really real to us, is we obey him. We obey him, not 80% with the desire. And I don't mean this. I mean in the sense that we have a heart's desire that says, I want to follow you and obey you fully. And when we fall short, we do what 1 John 1, 9 says. We run back to him and we beg for forgiveness and he forgives us. But our heart wants to obey him. Ephesians 5.3, in the context, in its, uh, Paul says this, there should not even be a hint of sexual impurity among you. Not even a hint. And so what happens in, the, in our Christian experience at times, and sometimes the longer you walk, what's, what tends to happen in your walk with God is you say, well, you know, There's a certain level of obedience that you have and I have decided is is appropriate. In our definition, you know, as long as I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that and I'm not doing that, but I'm going to have a certain window where I think it's okay if I engage in this because I'm not doing all of that, then that's appropriate. And in my meeting with some very courageous men, what is so refreshing is, is in this area of Ephesians 5.3, they don't want one hint of sexual immorality in their lives. Matter of fact, if you do a study in the New Testament, almost every book in the New Testament addresses this issue. I found it almost a little bit peculiar that I was talking to a man last weekend who's been involved in the local church for about 20 years. And I was talking to him about this issue, like I can talk about the weather and about police and fire and other things. I'm not ashamed of it. God's very clear on this issue of sexual impurity. And he said, you know, I've never had, we had a conversation for about two hours at a lake we were at last week. He goes, I've never had a conversation with anybody about this subject before. And I thought, really? You've been walking with the Lord for 20 years and no one has ever brought up this subject. No other brother has raised this issue with you. No one has ever asked you how you're doing in these areas or you with them. Hmm. Someone who was, has said this, that in our churches across the world, and maybe it's more of an issue here in the States, but I don't think so because you have us and we're all over the world, us believers. But it says that the churches are filled with those with low-grade fevers in this area. That we're, 
we're just comfortable with a certain level of compromise. Uh, and again, I don't mean this in a, in a judgmental way where I'm pointing the fingers. There's four at me if I did that. But there's a certain point where we've just said we've, we've, we've kind of run out of gas with wanting to pursue holiness. And so we'll, we'll just on the surface appear like everything is okay. Yet our hearts are not. In my conversations with some of the guys that I've been seeing over the last few months, they look just like us, but they were struggling. But they're so glad that they're able to bring it out and confess it in the appropriate way and for healing and for accountability. And there's other areas. That's just one. There's other areas where we struggle. King Josiah was a guy that was not going to tolerate compromise in his friendship with God. He's 26 years old. And he's, he's a king, and he faces a situation of, of neglect for God's standards. He wasn't aware of it, but the story is found in Second Chronicles chapter 34, and we'll be closing on this very quickly. You see, what happens is, as you read the whole story here in Second Chronicles 34, is a copy of God's law had been long forgotten. And when they found it, when they were doing this renovation of the temple, and then he began to listen. He didn't know it, but he began to listen to what was in the law. And as they were reading the law out loud, and it was bringing to his attention God's standards and the people's failure to having been living up to those standards. And Josiah, interestingly, he didn't say, oh, come on, we've, we've lived like this for years. We'll just keep on living like this. And that wasn't his reaction at all. It says, and we'll read this, he was mortified. He tore his robes, which was a sign of grief and despair. And he said, great is the Lord's anger. And he immediately, immediately acknowledged, rather than trying to defer, and shift blame and excuse his people's neglect. And he sought God's guidance. And you pick it up in Second Chronicles chapter 34, and we'll just read a couple of verses. Verse 27. Because your heart was responsive. This is what the Lord of God of Israel said. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me, and tore your robes and wept in my presence. I have heard you, declares the Lord. Verse 29. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, regulations, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. And then he had everyone in Jerusalem, and Benjamin pledged themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites. And he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, 
the God of their fathers. Isn't that great? A guy that was willing to call a spade a spade was concerned enough about his friendship with God that he said and, and knew that they had, in some cases unknowingly for him, disobeyed, forgotten, and now wanted to make it right, and he did. I want to leave you with the, the questions today. Are we, a, are we a good friend to Jesus today? I know in our own strength, we can't be that kind of friend to him. But he's given us his spirit. Are we a good friend? Are we doing what good friends do? Are we listening to him? Are we taking an interest in what's on his heart? In addition to us telling him what's on ours. Are we willing to tell others of our friendship with this best friend? Someone has said, I'll be a friend to Jesus. My life for him, I'll spend. I'll be a friend to Jesus until my years shall end. To all who need a savior, my friend, I recommend, because he brought salvation, is why I am his friend. Let's pray. Lord, it is an absolute honor and privilege today to be called um, by you, your friend. Um, I thank you, Lord, that that friendship was initiated by you and pursued by you, and you made it possible that I could transfer into this wonderful relationship because of the cross and your bloodshed. And Lord, I tell you with all my heart that my heart's desire is to be a good friend to you, to be loyal, to be committed, to be someone that doesn't break your heart, but willingly, lovingly wants to obey you in all that you have for me because you know me best. I thank you that you love each of us here today. And I just pray that, uh, Lord, you will reveal to our hearts if there are any obstacles that are causing this friendship with you to be anything less than you desire it to be. I pray you help us to protect our friendship with you and just to be very careful and guarded that we will love you and please you this coming week. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.